0: This dog was truly obsession-worthy, and I'm not just saying this because he was mine. This geriatric five-pound Pomeranian was a dope fiend with a bum knee.
1: Hello, and welcome to Personal Disclosures. I'm Nancy Beckett, and I'm your host. Eight people signed up for one of my humorous writing classes here in Chicago at the Second City Training Center, where I've taught for more than 15 years. They entertained the hell out of each other, bonded, and shared secrets they'd never told anyone. And now they're revealing their truth to you. These stories have so much meaning and quality because they are written. I mean, people are a huge pain in the ass, generally speaking, myself included, and they'll bore you to death if you let them. But in these episodes, What you'll discover is how interesting people actually are on paper. It'll surprise you, and you're going to want more. So please, go to our website at personaldisclosures.com. See more of us. Tell us what you think. And disclose some of your own truth, why don't you? This episode is devoted to dogs. We could just call it dogs, 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 dogs. Even if you're not a dog enthusiast, I hear some people have cats. (laughs) (laughs) You will be entertained by these stories because obviously, whenever we talk about somebody else, we're talking about ourselves. And doubly so when it comes to an animal. This is Julie Bashkin, the executive producer. This is a very special episode because every
0: single time someone listens to this episode, personal disclosures will donate a dollar to the Sato Project. So let everyone you know know about this. Share the episode with your friends and family and on your social media, and the more you get people to listen, the more money the Sato Project
1: gets. So next up, we've got Julie Bashkin telling a story about the love of her life and how one little animal can change the world, one lick at a time. (laughs) But seriously, it's a great portrait of a long and important love that they shared.
0: All dogs resemble their owners. That's just a truism. (laughs) I don't care who you are, a dog person, If you're not a dog person, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Mm. A small or large dog favor, if you don't like snappy chihuahuas or yippie Yorkies, I'll give you a pass Mm. just this once. Or an animal lover or hater, if you're the latter, I want nothing to do with you. Just stop listening right now. (laughs) You'd have been obsessed with Cortez had you met him. I've only ever met two people not obsessed with him. When Matt and I were walking Cortez once, we ran into a married couple with whom I went to high school who was kind of in my peripheral friend group, but I always thought there was something off about them (laughs) that I could not put my finger on. (laughs) Seemingly happy to see us, though they may have been faking it, they marveled at the coincidence that we live on the same street, but they did not acknowledge Cortez's existence. Didn't ooh and ah at him, didn't pet him or even bend down to look at him. Nothing. We questioned their value as human beings Mm -hmm. still. (laughs) Really? This dog was truly obsession-worthy. And I'm not just saying this because he was mine. When walking with him on the street, 100% of people stopped me and asked if he was real or if he was a teddy bear. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered why one would stop a grown-ass woman on the street if one suspected she was talking to a fake stuffed dog in her purse. But I was definitely obsessed. For 13 years, I made life choices, financial, travel, career, even house-related choices that revolved around this dog. I will not begin to even count how much money and time I spent to care for him. This geriatric five-pound Pomeranian was a dope fiend with a bum knee. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The knee was just a minor one of his dozens of health problems, having been inbred to be a show dog. He ultimately did not make size, which was a six-pound minimum. And so we rescued him from the breeder, rescued in air quotes, as we like to say to explain our cruelty of having bought instead of adopted because we were young and stupid. Matt and I both grew up with dogs, and we had just moved in together one year after graduating from college. We figured, since I was starting a 10- to 12-year Ph.D. program, I'd have all sorts of time to spend on the couch petting a dog while reading books, Mm -hmm. (laughs) taking him to the grassy quad on campus, or sneaking him into the library in a purse. Cortez partied. He took four milligrams of codeine, one milligram four times per day, enough to knock a grown human on their ass. The codeine was meant to suppress his cough. Because his drugs are a controlled substance— Once a month, I had to spend an hour obtaining and dropping off the script in person and explaining who Cortez Dog Bashkin is (laughs) and why my ID should suffice. All so he could sip his scissor. That's a hip-hop reference, Nancy. (laughs) Then there was the Viagra. That was to relieve the pressure in his lungs. Like I said, he partied. Cortez stuck his tongue out permanently, not because he was always high, but because he had no teeth and so nothing holding his tongue in. Mm -hmm. Named after Neil Young, or as we say, Uncle Neil's song, Cortez the Killer, I got mixed reviews on his name. Most people said it was perfectly ironic, while others said it's like naming a dog Stalin. (laughs) (laughs) And so I called him Buddy, and he answered to it, and he even answered to Dummy. But I used the word answered very liberally. Mm -hmm. I'd say you could pretty much say anything and get the same reaction out of him, an impersonal but still paradoxically warm kind of excitement that communicates, give me fingers to lick and pet behind my ear, human blob.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> my grandfather, Iza, a lifelong dog lover and dog whisperer, was extremely involved in Cortez's upbringing. Iza drove me to the Indiana border to pick Cortez up from the very Ohio-looking breeder who came <laughs> to meet us at the border. Oh, you folks will sure enjoy this, little fella. <laughs> she was wearing what could only be described as an ugly Christmas sweater from the resort (laughs) summer collection. (sighs) I can assure you, anyone who makes a commercial enterprise out of multiplying five-pound creatures for the purpose of competing them on the length of their snout is not only cruel, but also weird. Izia turned to Cortez and said, I know you're from Ohio, but you're Jewish now. From then on, they were inseparable (laughs) friends. (laughs) When I quit my Ph.D. program and both Matt and I were traveling for work, Iza came on Monday afternoons to pick up Cortez, and he dropped him off Thursday with a fridge full of groceries, having taught Cortez new tricks. Again, I use the word tricks liberally. <laughs> the best one was crossing the elevator threshold. But no matter how hard Iza tried, Cortez could not be made intelligent. Cortez was definitely the cutest animal you would have ever met, but more importantly, he was a nice guy. It was not his fault his brain was the size of a pea. Cortez had gone up and down flights of stairs his whole life until he threw out his back. And yet, if he stood at the top of the stairs and yelled his name from the second floor, he looked up and around, confused, as if God was talking to him. (laughs) And he made absolutely no effort to try to climb the stairs. Mm. But my mom always told me people get farther in life on good looks and nice personalities than on smarts. So it didn't matter to Cortez's survival that he had absolutely no clue what was ever going on around him. (laughs) Cortez did not like other dogs, particularly if they were mutts. He was more of a people dog, but he was also kind of judgy. If Cortez were a human, he would be a very proper, fancy, blue-blooded man. Oh, honey, you want me to play with those half-breeds? Oh, sweetie, I don't do that. (laughs) Look at them all scraggly and smelly from having to take walks outside. He peed on a two-by-two square diaper pad. (laughs) So as Cortez was getting older and nearing about 10 years of age, I was sitting around with my startup team discussing whether or not the whole pets and owners resemble each other phenomenon was true. I really don't get it. I don't look like Cortez. I mean, don't get me wrong, I wish I did, but he's blonde and pretty and well-groomed and very put-together. I'm lucky if I leave the house wearing both shoes from the same pair. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe you are a bit like Cortez, like maybe more in terms of personality, one of the younger analysts said coyly. <laughs> what I mean, you may not think I'm a genius, but I'm not as dumb as he is. My CO, Lisa, piped up. You're just like Cortez. You're curious about anything and anyone, easily distracted, follow every bright shiny object, have complete disregard for rules, authority, or convention of any kind, and though fiercely loyal and friendly, you're also aloof and judgmental. She had a point. <laughs> During a trip with my friend Leanne to Iceland, Cortez landed in the emergency room with a collapsed trachea where the doctor claimed he had only hours to live. Isa called me in a panic. I feel terrible. Poor Cartesik is really sick and this fucking American doctor is a moron and she can't understand one word I'm saying to her. I promptly called Matt and pulled him off a plane just as they were closing the doors about to take off for Boston where he was planning to go on a golf trip. To this day, he doesn't talk to some of the people from that trip who said, Dude, what? You're missing out on a golf trip with all our bros at a sick beach house on Cape Cod because your small dog is sick? You're a pussy. So started the douchebag purge from our (laughs) (laughs) lives. Needless to say, I took a flight home from Iceland the next morning. Turns out Cortez not only had a collapsed trachea, he also had a heart murmur. But Izia was right, as the doctors did turn out to be morons, as I kept Cortez alive for another seven years after this happened. When I sense people judging what I did for Cortez, I always point out they'd have done the same for their child. If anyone ever raised an eyebrow at that, I became very indignant. Everything you describe about your kids and every tactic you've used in aiding your child's development are all things I've done. Sleep training? Yep, tried and failed. Mm -hmm. Potty training? Same. Firing a thousand nannies until you find the right one? Welcome to my world. (laughs) I quickly rounded up a team of the best. His pulmonology team was in Champaign, Illinois, four hours from Chicago. I vetted four different veterinary cardiology specialists before settling on the right one in Chicago. Then Cortez had added a herniated disc, arthritis, nerve damage from a Rottweiler attack, and a moving knee patella to his repertoire. Then he went blind, deaf, and maybe even a little senile. In old age, he got kind of angry when woken up for the first three minutes, but then became as enthusiastic about pets and licks as his regular old self. But hey, I'd like to see your list of ailments when you're 93. Not to worry. With every health problem Cortez encountered, I found a new team of doctors and new holes to sink thousands of dollars into. $110 for an hour of personal training sessions for me? Who has the time and money for that? $110 for an hour of Cortez's underwater treadmill therapy? (laughs) Spare no expense. He also did laser treatment to control inflammation and pain from his arthritis some sort of light therapy to stimulate nerve endings in his paws for more mindful and purposeful stepping, Mm -hmm. and surfing lessons on a boogie board in the pool. He needed to work on his balance. And when Western medicine didn't have an offer for suckers like me, there was also acupuncture and holistic treatments, Thunder vest for anxiety, life vest for exercising in the water in the bathtub, and of course, high nutrient food, and since he had no teeth, his treats were coconut shavings for the crude protein, healthy oils, glutamine, and high fiber. Mm. For six years, I lived with anticipation of Cortez's death. I prepared myself and thought about the various possible scenarios every single day, but I never understood when he was ready. Even on his last day, While seemingly uncomfortable from constant coughing spells, he was still wagging his tail, jumping up and down on the couch, and running at the sound of a bag rustling looking for treats. While I was prepared for his death, no amount of preparation prepared me for life without Cortez. Cortez spared me a gory and drowned-out death experience last November by lying down and never waking up. But because my life is generally pure chaos, and no single two days look the same, the only constant and consistent ritualized behavior in my life besides brushing my teeth, involved caring for Cortez. When that was removed, I didn't know what to do with myself. Matt and I agreed we were going to let ourselves grieve for Cortez and rescue a puppy in the spring. In January, I showed Matt a picture of a pup I had found on Petfinder, a cute sato, Puerto Rican slang for an abandoned mutt. His mother was rescued on Dead Dog Beach in Puerto Rico the day after Hurricane Maria, eight months pregnant with what would eventually be our dog, Abe, so named by his rescue organization, the Sado Project. Approximately how much time per week have you been spending looking at profiles of rescues, Matt asked me. No less than two hours every day, I responded. (laughs) And so I embarked on the hardest and most competitive (laughs) application of my life. Forty other people wanted this puppy, and I don't compete in things I cannot win. (laughs) I spend more time on this application than on my grad school applications. When the adoption agency called my vet references, the vet said, for God's sake, give this woman a dog. (laughs) She put my kids through college. (laughs) When 40 other people want a rescue pup, one can hardly claim to be a hero. If I had rescued a senior black pit bull, maybe I'd have a right to be righteous. Abe turned out to be the opposite of a breeder dog. A scraggly, floppy mutt, he's not very high maintenance. He makes every person and dog he meets fall in love with him just through sheer affection. He's the mayor of Brooklyn, with everyone proclaiming honest Abe as soon as he jumps up to play. With no discernible breeds, his DNA test showed his great-grandparents were all mutts. He's just a Puerto Rican street dog, and he knows it. No pretension, no attitude, no bullshit. He's not well-trained, or rather I should say I'm the one that is not the well-trained. As long as I'm letting him bite my nose and chin, he's happy. And if I don't let him, he scratches and punches my face until I eventually give in. I was worried Abe would feel inferior, would catch on to the fact that I do not love him as much as I loved Cortez. It's not his fault. He's not any less lovable. He just doesn't need me the same way Cortez needed me. But Abe the Sato, an Instagram influencer with 10,000 fans, <laughs> has no idea. He's completely aloof and in his own world, getting adoration the best way he can, because dogs resemble their owners.
2: Mm. Oh,
0: Okay, so now you heard about my Sato, Abe. Remember, for every listen of this episode, we will donate a dollar to the Sato Project. So please spread the word, it's so easy for you to help. Tell everyone you know to listen to this podcast and let's save some dogs together. The Sato Project is dedicated to rescuing abused and abandoned dogs in Puerto Rico and placing them in loving homes. Since 2011, the Sato Project has rescued over 3,000 dogs including my dog, Abe. There are over half a million stray dogs on the island, but the Sato Project is working to eliminate animal overpopulation and homelessness and give these dogs the lives they deserve. The SATO Project relies on donations to continue this incredible work, and $100 is all it costs to perform a spay or neuter surgery that can dramatically improve a dog's life. To support the SATO Project's rescue efforts in Puerto Rico, please visit thesatoproject.org forward slash donate. And we also partnered with Ollie for this episode because they have been a longtime supporter of the Sato Project, sponsoring freedom flights that bring rescues from Puerto Rico. Ollie delivers freshly made food from real human-grade ingredients, tailored to your dog's unique nutritional needs. For more information, go to myollie.com. That's m
3: y o l l i e dot when I come back in the next life, I would like to come back as Julie's dog. <laughs> I was going to say, I just
4: want to move in with Julie yeah. and Matt right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you could just pee on a pad. I can <laughs> I can lick and bite uh, chins and noses. <laughs> buddy
3: sounded like such a good nickname for him. Because that's as you were describing all of his ailments, that's
4: all I could think was Buddy. Oh, Buddy. <laughs> also, I love the way that we go through the ritual of picking like, names for our pets that we then don't use <laughs> mm-hmm. my pet each each of my pets has more than a dozen nicknames at least yes
0: yeah we did we did use cortez so we called him Tez, Tazzy, um teddy sometimes because he looked like a teddy bear mm. buddy dummy and cortez and he answered to everything
1: <laughs> well he was so high <laughs>
5: <laughs> when you transition to your current dog abe you start out by trying to Cortez Abe also. And it was just a little detail you inserted, but when you said based on Abe's DNA test, and I was thinking, wow, she didn't need a <laughs> DNA test on Abe. Like I just thought that was so fascinating. But I, I just I just love how Abe was just not going to be Cortez and was not going to respond in the same way and not need you the same way. And there was something kind of beautiful about that. Um that, you know, this is just a new chapter.
1: Well, and it's it's going from um, a hyperbred uh, caseload to a mutt. And it says something about Julie being more mature, more uh, down to earth, more of a mutt.
5: I wonder what uh, Cortez would think that he was replaced by a mutt.
0: He wouldn't even ape. dignify that with a thought. <laughs> oh,
5: wow.
3: <laughs> He'd be like, what? he on his pad and walk away. Right. You know?
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody makes mistakes, darling. And and
5: I also appreciate that she had a douchebag purge in her life. That was nice. I feel like that's something I've been meaning to do for a long time on my to-do list, and now I feel like I can do it. Let this It feels
0: great. (laughs) I highly
2: recommend it.
0: This is Julie Bashkin. Anyone can and should do what we're doing here. Visit our website, personaldisclosures.com, to make your own disclosures. We have celebrity comedians and best selling authors who will work with you individually. Whether you're an experienced writer or have never attempted to do this in your life, we can make you funny, smart, and interesting on paper.
1: And next up is Bridget McGuire talking about the love of her life. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised by the details, the history and how relevant it is to Chicago culture.
6: I'd love to have one more, but I have to get back to my boyfriend, Joe. I laugh as I hop in my cab home. Joe Mahoney has gray hair, a solid build, and walks with a strut. This stud is 28, in dog years. (laughs) Joe Mahoney is my dog. When I was 31, my love life was not working, per usual, And once again, I found my weekly routine categorized in three buckets. Work, working out, and going out, a.k.a. drinking with my friends. I'm very, very good at going out. Are you going to go out? Yeah, I'll go out. (laughs) I'm so bored. Do you want to go out? Yeah, I'll go out. What should we do? Do you want to go see a movie or should we go out? Let's go out. Going out was my hobby with work and working out peppered in throughout my existence. I was always up to go out. I'd go out to look for a new story, a new joke, and obviously a new boyfriend. But at 31, I started to need more. A good amount of my friends were married, and a lot of them started to have kids. Only a handful of us going-out girls still lived in the city, and going out was losing its appeal. Hangovers got worse, the guys got younger and more bro and the crowd wasn't as funny. But what else do you do when you've been trained to go out since you were 14? One day after work in the gym, I was swiping away on Tinder when I came across a guy named Zach who used to work with me at Groupon. The early days of Groupon were so exciting. Andrew Mason, a 27-year-old man, created an exploding universe based on coupons. (laughs) The economy was crashing, but this giant tech company helped local businesses boom while employing thousands of people across the U.S. and eventually the world. Inside the walls of this roaring company, 20-somethings in Chicago were attending Groupon High School, and relationships and hookups were happening all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> not for me, though. I was in a failing relationship when I got hired at Groupon. I knew it was nearing the end when I dressed up more to go to work to flirt with this funny guy named Matt than I did any given day of the week for my boyfriend of three years. Zach, who was on Tinder, was not a crush of mine at Groupon. He dated, air quotes, my co-worker Laura. While Groupon was jetting off the ground, the sales team that I was a part of had to make at least 75 cold calls a day. During this time, Laura would G-chat me, telling me about the latest Zach drama. Laura and Zach ended once Zach was fired for doing something really shady that was very buzzworthy at the time, but I can't remember what it was now. I left Groupon after a couple of years, and Laura had switched departments. We lost touch as we went our separate ways, and according to Facebook, Laura had a very serious boyfriend. And according to Tinder, Zach now had a two-year-old child. Mm. I immediately took a screenshot and sent the following text. (laughs) Laura, it's Bridget McGuire. It's been way too long. (laughs) It's been way too long, but I am dying and had to text you, guess who is a dad? Insert picture. Our boy, Zach. Laura. Laura. Oh, my God, Bridget. I am crying laughing. Can you believe I actually cried over this guy? How is he a dad? Who is the mother? Laura and I quickly decided we should get drinks the following week to discuss <laughs> Zach, Groupon, and our lives. While sipping our Pinot Noirs, Laura told me about her serious boyfriend and how he truly broke her heart when she discovered that he had a plethora of flirty text relationships with different girls in the states he traveled to for business. After her discovery, she lost trust. He called her crazy, and it ended. ended. It's maddening how that always happens. He (laughs) cheats, but then she's crazy. In any case, while Laura dated this guy, she fell in love with his dog. And that was the silver lining for Laura. Mm. She loved that dog and she wanted one of her own. I was shocked. I, too, always wanted a dog, but I didn't know it was possible that I, Bridget McGuire, could take care of a dog at age 31. (laughs) (laughs) Which is hilarious. My mom had three children under the age of four when she was 31. Pretty sure I could handle a dog. Oh, man, Laura, I want a dog. I think I'll wait till April for my birthday. Bridget, it's October. Why not just get one now? You're right. Why not now? Long story short, Groupon, Zach, and Laura pushed me to get a dog. And what a dog did I get? He was good-looking, funny... Boundless energy with a spitfire attitude. There was only one person he could be named after. My maternal grandfather, the legendary Joe Mahoney. <laughs> my grandpa, Papa, as we called him, would probably roll over in his grave if he knew that I named my dog after him. Maybe he'd be flattered, but he would definitely have several comments about it, considering he once put our family dog Clancy in the trunk of his 91 Chrysler because he did not want that mutt in the back seat. Joe Mahoney, the person... <laughs> <laughs> grew up during the Depression, and his family had very little. His mother was 16 when she married his father, an immigrant from Ireland who was just 19 years old himself. They had five children, a couple of miscarriages, and they divorced when Joe was very little, which was extremely rare for an Irish Catholic family, especially in the 1930s. Joe Mahoney only went to third grade, and then he joined the CCC to help raise money for his family. He eventually went into the Army, served in World War II, and became a Chicago policeman. Growing up, he was the most present grandparent I knew. He was over at our house, uninvited, every single day. (laughs) (laughs) In high school, I would sometimes dread when I would hear, anybody home? Or, get down here and lock this door. An open door is an invitation to a burglar. (laughs) But now, I would give anything to hear those words just one more time. What I would do to hear his voice one day more. But for now, I'll just look at my dog the other Joe Mahoney and take a bark Oh, I got tingles really?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. in my arms the last paragraph, the last paragraph. It was there's a lot more about than Joe the Mahoney
6: the I, person to talk about but she drove it home
0: no it was great because I've been seeing Joe Mahoney the dog picture <laughs> on Instagram all the time and Facebook and the whole time I was learning that he was named after your grandfather oh. but I didn't know anything about your grandfather so maybe I should amazing. do a face to face yeah
6: so people know who he is <laughs> yeah
1: Right, woman, dog, that kind of thing, like well, with arrows.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I think she meant side-by-side side uh, with yeah, the grandfather. Side by side. Oh, yeah, side-by-side, Oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> the two <laughs> Joe Mahoney's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that went right over my head. Well, I'm, I'll like... never forget having dinner with you the very first time. And it, it was like a normal hour. It was like 7 o'clock, but you had just like breezed in from work. Yeah. And I was like, well, but where's Joe Mahoney? And you looked at me and you said, Joe Mahoney? (laughs) Oh, well, Joe gets home about five, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, wow. So Joe Mahoney is like her bachelor brother in a way. He He comes and goes, he has a key, you
2: know.
1: (laughs) He he cooks for himself or picks something up on the way home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So have you noticed
0: there's this big trend right now of naming? (laughs) Naming dogs with
1: human names. Yeah, I love it. Oh that's great. Hasn't it always been or No,
4: it it hasn't. I read
1: about it. Oh, it it must be true.
6: It was (laughs) well. No, I remember when this became like a trend. I remember listening to it on NPR like when I was like nine, and there were like callers, like people calling in, like just completely, their minds were blown that their neighbor had named their dog Oliver. You know, like it it was was so.
1: You're right though. We had one in the behind us named Tippy. Yeah, they were
6: like. My be. mom and dad's dogs were like lady. Yeah. And. Well, they had a dog named Maggie. Actually.
3: I had a teacher who was talking about cat people and dog people, and he asked one of the girls in class, he was like, What's a dog name? And she was like, I don't really know, I'm not a dog person. And he was like, any name, like what's a good dog name? And she was like, I don't know. Mark? <laughs> 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 no. Of all like there are Mark. many good dog names. Mark <laughs> not is not one of them. Now it is that mm-hmm. way. But even with Mark, I feel like Todd is an acceptable dog name. Charles I agree.
5: Barkley. <laughs> what's 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 wrong with
3: Mark? I don't yeah. know. It just doesn't I don't flow. know. Like Abe goes to
0: daycare with Tim yeah. and Russell. (laughs) (laughs)
1: No, today I actually saw a darling terrier And I asked the man her name And he said, Stella I said, oh, that's my daughter's name (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, have a good day (laughs) Okay, next up is (laughs) Tony Dowell Talking the talk He has a few things to say All the time but in this case, prepare yourselves for his political incorrectness and how badass he is and how much he makes you love him.
7: I call this Brothers in Arms. Jake and I still debate whose idea it was to get Bronson. The idea to get another dog was probably mine, but I swear to your God and mine that it was Jake's idea to get a Rottweiler. I had never even met a Rottweiler. I'd only seen them in movies, a scary brute silently guarding the estate or junkyard, available if necessary to kill or maul any intruder. All the rappers and pro athletes have Rottweilers, Dad, Jake told me. (laughs) Maybe Jake knows how to play me, but I like that. Rottweilers are cool. When we got Bronson last October, I knew that Jake wouldn't be around much longer to help take care of him. Jake would be heading off to college, the youngest of my four kids and the last one at home. Jake could help take care of the new dog for a while, but then I would be on my own after Jake left. He would be my dog for the long run. I could tell you tons of stories about Bronson. I could tell you of all the things he's chewed up and destroyed, or how he bit Jake the night we brought him home. But let's face it, no one cares about your dog stories. The only people who want to hear stories about a Rottweiler are other Rottweiler owners. And I'm guessing that the intersection of Rottweiler owners and people who listen to podcasts is probably a limited demographic. (laughs) From my experience, here's the only things that people want to hear about your dog. There are exactly four things. First, is your dog a purebred? Do you know that it's actually illegal to sell a purebred dog in Chicago? True story. You aren't supposed to buy a purebred dog. You're supposed to go rescue a mutt at the shelter. And if you don't, people judge you for that. Well, that's a nice concept, but you know what? Fuck that. I wanted a dog who had been bred for the last 3,000 years for certain traits. In Bronson's case, that was loyalty, power, confidence, mellowness, intelligence, and courage. I didn't want some rando dog that you didn't know what it was or where it came from. No thanks. Second, people want to know where you got your dog. Again, you're supposed to get your dog from a shelter. Failing that, you're supposed to drive out to a farm somewhere in the middle of nowhere and get your dog from a respectable breeder. Well, I failed on that count, too. (laughs) I just drove out to Naperville one Wednesday night and bought Bronson at a pet store. (laughs) I get it that many pet stores get their puppies from puppy farms where the dogs are mistreated and the mother dogs just churn out puppies from their uterus factory. I tried. I looked for a Rottweiler puppy from a breeder or someone on the Internet for months, and I couldn't find one. They were either already gone or you had to get on a waiting list for months. I'm not a patient person. I'm also not going to save the world one dog at a time. Jake and I have enough problems. Go ahead, judge me. That's why we lose
2: elections.
7: (laughs) (laughs) The third thing people wanna know is if you're gonna get your dog fixed. This one, I truly do not get. It's not like Bronson is roaming the streets at night banging other dogs. (laughs) Plus, if your dog is fixed, then why does Bronson need to be fixed? I'm kidding on that one, well, (laughs) sorta. But seriously, people are absolutely fixated on whether I'm going to get Bronson's nuts cut off. (laughs) My buddy IJ badgers me constantly about it, telling me that Bronson will be a better behaved dog, That's the right thing to do, blah, 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 and on and on. He is relentless on the string about it. Admittedly, sometimes I send a picture on the string of Bronson laying around with his big balls exposed (laughs) just to get IJ riled up. Bronson's balls are also an issue on where I can take him to be boarded. At six months old, Bronson was expelled from the doggy daycare where he had been going since I got him. They said he couldn't come back unless he was castrated. A lot of places are like that. But one place that isn't like that is the Chicago Canine Academy. Bronson is a proud graduate of the Chicago Canine Academy. Bronson learned everything he knows at the Chicago Canine Academy. Most importantly, that breathing air is preferable to about anything else in this world. When we walked in the door at the Chicago Canine Academy, Bronson was issued a choke collar. With a pull on the collar, Bronson can be deprived of air until he complies with whatever is demanded. When given a choice between compliance and oxygen, Bronson takes the O2 every time. That's the high intelligence element of the Rottweiler. (laughs) The Russian at the Chicago Canine Academy is also fixated on Bronson's balls, but in a good way. Are you going to have him castrated, the Russian asked me, when I picked Bronson up after his two-week course in dog discipline. Yeah, I guess so, I answered. That's the thing to do, right? Why would you mutilate this beautiful animal? (laughs) Well, what do you do do about him humping other dogs, I asked, kind of intimidated by the Russian. If he misbehaves, do you cut his paw off? Same thing. (laughs) The Russian was very clear in his position on castration, and I'm going with the Russian and the experts at the Chicago Canine Academy on this one. Finally, the last thing people want to know about your dog is whether he is going to attack them or their dog. (laughs) For Bronson, he has never been aggressive towards any person and loves meeting other people. When he meets people, he leans into their legs, sometimes knocking them back a step or two. It's a very endearing move, especially when he looks up with his big, dark eyes. Oh, he looks dangerous, but he's so sweet, a woman said last week as Bronson crowded in and sat on her feet. Although lovable, according to the experts at the Chicago Canine Academy, Bronson's move is called crowding, and it's a way that some big dogs assert dominance. Bronson isn't crowding in to get petted, he's doing it to show who's boss. Now, with respect to whether Bronson is aggressive toward other dogs, that's complicated. If the other dog is not aggressive, Bronson is fine. It would never hurt or attack the dog. However, Bronson loves to play with other dogs, and he plays pretty rough. If he can catch another dog, he will grab the other dog's leg and try to get the dog on the ground, which will often result in the other dog squealing and screaming. Also when playing with other dogs, Bronson's appearance and 120-pound frame scares some dog owners. It also doesn't help that Bronson growls when he plays, which sounds very scary. Some dog owners just don't understand that he is still just playing. One day at the park, Bronson was chasing a husky and finally caught the dog, which led to the husky shrieking and barking, and then the husky's owner screaming that Bronson had attacked her dog. It was quite a ruckus. I grabbed Bronson and pulled him off the husky. The husky came back for more, still playing, yipping, and snapping at Bronson's face. I kept hold of Bronson and got him calmed down. The woman kept screaming about Bronson attacking her dog, looking for bite marks or blood on her dog, of which there was none. Bronson did not attack your dog. He was just playing, I informed her, holding Bronson back from further rough play. Yes, he did, she shrieked. No, he didn't, I repeated. If he was attacking your dog, your dog would be dead. That didn't go over so well, and Bronson doesn't get to play with that dog anymore. (laughs) As for actual aggressiveness, many dogs snarl or snap at Bronson, especially smaller dogs or dogs that are scared of Bronson. Smaller dogs do this to protect their space, and Bronson is fine with that. When little dogs bark or growl at him, like my daughter's dog, Louie, Bronson just looks at them or swats them with his paw. Bronson can somehow tell when a dog is growling or barking out of insecurity rather than actual aggressiveness. For dogs that are actually being aggressive, it's another story, and Bronson will go ballistic, barking as loud as you can believe and trying to get at the other dog. On these occasions, it is all I can do to hold him back. So in answer to the final question, Bronson is not aggressive most of the time. And that's about it. If we're being honest, those are the only things that people want to hear about your dog. I could tell you a hundred more stories about Bronson, but you wouldn't care. Your relationship with your dog is a personal thing, and it may mean everything to you, but other people Just don't care. I could tell you about the time Bronson attacked a chainsaw, but you wouldn't care. I could tell you how Bronson wakes me up if I sleep too late by sitting on my head, but you wouldn't care. I could tell you how Bronson will run from one end of the house and jump into me sitting in my chair and then growl at me for petting him, (laughs) but you wouldn't care. That's just the way it is with dogs and our relationships with them. It's kind of like taking your last kid to college. That's also something that is important to you and a huge milestone in both the kid's life and your own. But it doesn't matter to anyone else other than you and him. My oldest daughter Alexa and I dropped Jake off at college this week. We helped him unpack his stuff and set up his dorm room. We asked him if he wanted to go buy some supplies or go to lunch. No, he said. He was good. So we said our goodbyes and left. And that was it. Jake is gone now. Sure, we'll still talk often, or more likely text, but I won't see him every day. And I won't know where he is or what he's doing. I won't be there to tell him, no, it's probably not a good idea to go meet friends at one in the morning after Lollapalooza. (laughs) There won't be any more football games or baseball games for me to go to, at least not with Jake playing. Jake doesn't need me anymore, at least not for the daily things in life. Brothers in arms, but now we live in different worlds. But you know who still does need me? Bronson still needs me. Mm -hmm. No house is empty with a 120-pound Rottweiler (laughs) running around destroying things and demanding to be taken on walks and demanding to throw the ball around. I've still got Bronson. Thanks, Bronson.
5: (laughs) Sorry. Well, that was
3: good. Got me choked up, Tony. Yeah.
5: (laughs) Every time. Every
3: time. Every single reading. (laughs)
0: Okay, okay. I know Tony said some controversial stuff about dog adoption. As much as we love Bronson and Tony, Tony's stance is not the official position of personal disclosures. We are still donating a dollar to the Sato Project for every listen of this episode. So let's write Tony's wrong together and get more episode downloads and save more Sato's together.
4: It's obviously a really emotional story for you, and you're feeling like you're going through this very, like, natural change that anybody who parents a kid goes through but it's a lot it it obviously it means a lot to you it's a lot deeper than that I'm sure a lot of feelings of Trish come up when the things that you guys I don't know I mean maybe you and Trish talked about like what were you gonna do when all the kids were grown up and um, out of the house and it just it's a beautiful story and like this is what the dog means to me I I just I found it really moving
3: it was a story too that I feel kind of like not wrapped up a chapter of your life, but it's I could see like the sequel of you and
4: Bronson <laughs> running and through the waves the at the beach and the sunset in the background, scaring <laughs> other
3: dogs and dog owners across right. the land. Right. Right.
5: Well, and you, and you acknowledge the fact that Jake was would only be around for a short time to help mm-hmm. raise Bronson, and there's clearly whether you thought about it directly or not, or it was just kind of this subconscious decision to take this dog on and. Knowing knowing that Jake was, was leaving the house soon.
0: People don't care about details about your dog's life. They really don't. Other dog people might. And people love dog videos and dog pictures on Instagram. But they don't want to hear it. Just like people don't care about babies. Yep. Right. Only other moms care about how long another mom's baby sleeps at night.
7: But it's everything to you. It's, ev- it's It consumes your life. Right. But to other people, it's not a...
4: I mean, I'm drawing too many parallels. But I, I recognize the a- alienation. I remember after my dad died, I remembered when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and just writing the L and you're like, I'm going through this very (laughs) life-threatening thing that's the absolute most important thing in my life and everybody else is just having a regular day. Which, of course, everybody else is probably not having a regular day, but it is that very alienating thing of knowing you're going through something that other people maybe just don't recognize or th- you know they're not close enough to you to to know about and it's a it's an alienating feeling to know like people maybe just don't recognize how important Jake leaving the house is to you.
2: Right.
5: And uh, I, I don't I don't know I don't know if you share these stories with Jake or if he'll ever listen to the podcast. <laughs> I, I don't know what the situation with that is, but for me as a son I would I would kill to hear my dad tell a story like this, or to hear mm-hmm. what he was feeling. Mm-hmm. Or. yeah, To
4: be so yeah. emotional yeah. about losing your everyday and presence in the house.
5: I think that's such a amazing thing that you're able to express that and mm-hmm. emote that, and to potentially share that with your son, oh. because that's something that I would... I would maybe kill for.
3: I was gonna say you have something new now. Like it's Bronson is it's yours. It's Jake and yours, and he can call and talk about what are the updates, and you guys yeah, can talk about Bronson in a different language than you would talk about him with anybody else. Right. But
0: Jake has a very special place in Tony's life, and it's not just the fact that he's the youngest and the last to leave, and so it's true empty nest. And it's also not just the fact that he's the only male of the four kids. It's also, we've seen in other episodes, Jake is the only one that truly knows how Tony feels in every part of Tony's life. So when the day after Trish died, Jake was the one that said, you need to focus on being a badass." (laughs) The episode where you're in Florida and the monkey situation, Jake was the first person to notice how you were feeling. It wasn't the other daughters. So it's, it's a different relationship, I think, than just normal empty nest or normal youngest kid leaving.
1: Oh my God, this episode! I thought we were gonna get dog stories, but man, this is about this is about families and oh, uh, just about milestones and about feelings and and love and all these different qualities that come forward family systems i don't know i mean i could go on as i usually do
0: (laughs) this podcast was created by me julie bashkin in partnership with alana kipp and nancy beckett and the second city training center sound engineering recording and original music scores created by gravity studios in chicago Visit personaldisclosures.com for tips and tricks on how to make your own personal disclosures and to access exclusive personal training and group events with famous best-selling authors and comedians you've seen on TV. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, where you may find embarrassing vintage photos from our youth. And please, share with your friends and leave a review on Stitcher and iTunes. It helps us out tremendously to get the word out and to bring you more laughs and maybe even some tears every week with new episodes.